0: The family has asked me to do something, to share the gospel. And so I'm going to do that this morning, and I pray that you'd bear with me. As a matter of fact, the gospel was so close to Brother Boyd and and his wife, whom I've never met. But from the picture, if you look on the wrist of Miss Jody, you can see that she has a bracelet on. Y'all ever pay attention to that bracelet? Y'all you know what that bracelet stands for? I can tell you without even asking her. That bracelet is the Roman's road. Amen. You see the different colors in that picture. And most people won't pick up on it. They just see the two brilliant, vibrant faces. But if you look close, you see something much, much deeper and much stronger that bound these two together. And that wasn't just some... Crazy love. That was the love of Christ. Amen. Brother Boyd was a sower, a seed sower. It didn't stop. Much like myself, the Lord has called me to sow seeds. To share the gospel and to, and to throw it out there and to, and to sow it and to cast it down. Brother Boyd did this. Decade after decade after decade after decade. Even not seeing a whole lot of fruit in the prisons. People coming and people going. But he was faithful to sow. And so my mission this morning that's been given to me is to sow. My mission cannot be accomplished by wit. He had some wit, I'll tell you that much for sure. It can't be accomplished by wit, by human intellect, by personality, or even by my own strength. And my mission must be carried out. Because this is what he would have wanted. He wanted one of the gospel shared at his memorial service. Without a question, without a doubt, I, I know him. And he wanted to tell the story of Jesus Christ. He wanted his family to know Jesus Christ personally. I can remember the, the conversations that he had and with me and my wife, and, and he would talk about his family as he prayed for them. He spoke often about Psalms chapter 1. Does that strike a nerve with anybody? He spoke often of the book of John and and Christ and His blood and what He had done for Himself, what it it had done for Him. So my mission is, is not to Bring up sentiments about Brother Boyd that may make you laugh, but my mission is to is to shoot an arrow this morning, as he did. It has to be carried out. It's a, it's a mission of humiliation, self abasement, and foolishness, and this was his life. You see, when he surrendered to the Lord to go and to do the Lord's work, he surrendered to a life of humiliation. He surrendered to a life of self-abasement, putting himself down before others so that God would be glorified. And he surrendered his life to a life of foolishness. It's through the foolishness of preaching that we win some. And this was Brother Boy. By God's grace, I am what I am. By God's grace, I'm an archer, just like Brother Boyd. A net caster, a seed sower, with one arrow, one net, one seed. My target this morning is the heart of man. The heart of man. And I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying. Because if, if this man were here today that we're honoring, he would want you to listen to what's coming. He would say, I, I want you to listen, pay attention. I can still remember where he sat. Right back there where Shirley's sitting right now. I'd preach and he'd sit back there and he'd cry and he'd weep and smile at the same time. I watched him do it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Because he wanted the gospel preached to him. He wanted the love of Christ shared. It was his story. The catch with this, however, I have no control over the landing spot of that arrow. I can aim the best that I can and I can, I can do all that I can to shoot this, this, this arrow out and it's a sharp arrow that, that can penetrate the hardest of hearts. But at the end of the day, I have no control over where it goes and where it lands. Only the Lord does. Only the Lord pray this morning that as I go on this mission, we must pray that this arrow that's fixing to be shot hits the proper target, the heart of man. And so I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray today that the gospel message, if there's one here that doesn't know the Lord, that the gospel message would find its home in that person's stony heart. I want you to pray today that that hard, dirt, earth, ground that's been run over and run over and run over, that heart that's hard as stone would be broken by the grace of God and that the gospel would be able to take root and grow and produce fruit. I want you to pray today that if there be one here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus, that they would examine their life. Brother Charles was confident in where he was going. He knew who he was in Christ. He knew who he wasn't. He was what he was by God's grace. We pray that this arrow, this gospel will find its way to soft soil. Good soil. But before that can happen, we have to begin with the breaking of the heart. Now, we've given everybody else 40 minutes. Let's give God's Word just a little bit longer. Then we're going to go eat, and we're going to fellowship. But for the next few minutes, I want you to key in on the heart of man. I heard, I heard a minister say this one time, and he, he said it quite well. He said, before you can get them saved, you got to get them lost. And there was a lot of truth in that. First off, we don't do anything, and I understood what he was saying, but his point was is that they have to understand that they are lost before they can be saved. The struggle in today's society is that everybody wants everything so fast right now they never stop and consider what it means to be lost. What it means to be saved. Self-gratification is at an all-time high. Now, 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 now. Today we're going to stop and we're going to consider the heart. The scripture teaches us teaches us that it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the wedding festival. The reason being is because it causes us, it challenges us, it slows us down for just a moment to see the brevity of life and to understand that we are fragile sinners. Man born of a woman is few days full of trouble. And so to understand the heart and to see the heart, we have to begin there. And Jeremiah tells us in the 17th chapter, which is, which a lot of us know, that the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What does that mean? It is deceitful and desperately wicked. It craves it. The heart of man. If I asked you today that I You would give me your heart, the inner man, and allow me to play that from the last six months, 24 hours a day, and broadcast it on that screen right there on that wall. Would you let me? I don't know of a person in here that would want me to do that. Because what it would reveal is that even at our best, saved by grace, we are still sinners. And without God's grace, we are nothing. Amen. Nothing. Man is, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and it is desperately wicked. Scripture also teaches us that this wickedness, this deceitfulness has been passed to all men, leaving no one out of this problem that we have. Everybody's in it. Everybody in this room this morning is in this condition. There's no exception. You're not special. You didn't get around it. You didn't scathe by it. You weren't born different. No, it was inherently passed down from one generation to the next. Wickedness, evilness, unholiness. And it all came from Adam, our federal head. In the garden he sinned and he passed it upon all men so that all have sinned. That's what the scripture teaches, what it says. We've all fallen in sin from Adam in the garden. Doomed for destruction and doomed for death. It's a, it's a heart that rebels against God's word. You remember in the garden when he, when he rebelled against God's word? He rebelled against the only thing that the Lord gave him. Don't eat of the tree? Okay, I'll eat of it. My children can do that because it's passed down from Adam. I did it as a child. There was a story told about one of my nephews the other day. He had a sparkler in his hand. And his daddy said, put that sparkler down, it's running out. It's going to burn you. He said, that orange spot, he's a little two-year-old, that orange spot, it's going to burn you, it's going to burn you. Put it down, put it down, it's going to burn you. And he looked right at his daddy and did. went to hollering. I tell you that why. Because you don't have to teach someone to sin. It comes naturally. And so we have to understand the wickedness of the heart. We have to understand that it is in our DNA. It is in our bloodline. We cannot get away from that which begs the question how do we remove it? How do we remove it? If man had a way that he could save himself, he would drop it and he would break it, right or wrong. I'm telling you, you task me with something, more than likely I'll drop it and break it. Because I'm not perfect and none of us are. In fact, in fact the scriptures teach us, teach us this, that we have broken God's laws. That we have broken His commandments. We have dropped them. We have broken them. And we are in need of someone outside of ourselves to save us from that condemnation. That had been brought upon us because we broke those laws. Brother Boyd understood that. See, his mission, and he knew what his mission was. His mission was that of a sower, an archer, a net caster. He went to the prisons, the hedges, the highways, and the byways, and what he did was simply this he would let it fly everywhere he went. Yeah. It didn't matter who he was around. It didn't matter the clout of somebody or someone. He shared his faith and his love for Jesus with everybody he came in contact with. He ordered, I don't know how many Roman road pins. Shirley's got one in her office right now. She said, I got a pin in here, and it pulls out, and there's Roman road. I said, That came from Brother Charles, Brother Boyd. He was always about the gospel. Always about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Proclaiming it. And I think about his feet shuffling down the, down the, the sidewalk. And I think about those sweet feet. Those sweet that are, that are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that's what he did. Until the day that he couldn't do it anymore. His feet shuffled along and it was, it was feet of good news. Traveling along, along a good path. A hard one but a good path. And he brought that gospel and he shared it. He shared it to those that he came in contact with. That person that we need is not Brother Boyd, but the one that Brother Boyd preached about. Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to get into my text. I told you we couldn't wrap this thing up in 35 minutes, 40 minutes. So, y'all just listen to the preaching of the Word of God. And I pray that the Lord, I pray that the Lord would go before me in His text, in His Word. And as this arrow is shot, I pray that it would find soft ground to hit. Listen to what it says in John chapter 3. His favorite book. And I love verse 1 because it sets the stage for everything. It says this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. In one verse, in one verse, it shows us who this man is, all that he does. But in this one verse, it gives us four strikes that are against him. Four strikes that are against him. And I want you to listen to me this morning. I want you to listen to what the Word of God says. It says that he was a man. Man is inherently evil. Man is inherently wicked. And you cannot get around that. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Plain and simple. Mankind fell in the garden and plunged all of humanity into total Depravity. Man is wicked. So right out of the gate, we see that this man was nothing more than a man. And I'm going to tell you what's fixing to happen. Jesus is fixing to strip him of his ranks, of his titles, of everything that he is, and expose exactly who he is. It's a pretty big deal to be stripped of a rank. Is it not, Jim? Jesus is fixing to do that in the text. Let me me explain. First strike against him is he was a man. And that's what we have to remember is that we are all man, mankind. And we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all missed the mark. We have shot our arrow and we have completely became void of where it went. We lost it. We couldn't make it. We couldn't hit the mark. We fell. And we need someone to help us. And so the scripture teaches us that Nicodemus was a man. The second thing the Scripture teaches us is that he was a Pharisee. He was religious. We seem to have a lot of religious people in the world today that are completely void of all understanding of what it means to be holy. They're religious and they they love to say that believe in Jesus, but yet live another life. You go and you speak to the people on the street in Jonesville and you ask them, do you serve Jesus? Do you love the Lord? Yeah, my grandma was saved. She was baptized. That's what they'll tell you. I mean, I didn't ask that question. Do you love the Lord? Do you serve Him? Is He your all in all? Yeah, I was baptized one time too. That ain't what I asked. Do you love Him? People like to put that religious marker on who they are. Nicodemus was no different. He was a Pharisee. The religious elite. The ones in the towns, the pastors, the deacons. The elders. Y'all know what I'm saying. Those that were above the rest. Those that were above the lay people. This was Nicodemus. I want you to pay attention, listen to me, because he has three, four strikes against him. I'm on the second one. He was a Pharisee. You know what that mattered in the eyes of Jesus? Right there. The fact that he was religious meant that in the eyes of Jesus. You move on and you see that he is named Nicodemus. You could say the name, I'm sure, Nicodemus in Jerusalem at that period of time and people would know who you were talking about. This man was high up. He was an elitist. On the social hierarchy, on the social status, this man was it. He was at the top of his game. Nicodemus. And people knew who you were talking about. But in the eyes of Jesus, that means nothing. The next thing it says is that he was a ruler. A position of power. Once again, in the eyes of Jesus, nothing. Nothing. And so Jesus comes and we see John is, is in this book. He is showing us who this man was. And Jesus is fixing to take it all away from him. And he's going to do it so fast it's going to make your head spin. Watch this. Cool. So cool. The same came to Jesus by night. We don't know why, but he did. I'm not speculating about why. He just came to Jesus by night. I'm not going into that. And said unto him, Rabbi, I called him teacher. Rabbi, master, teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus stops him right there. Jesus stops the Pharisee, the ruler, Nicodemus, the man. He stops him and this is what he says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right off the bat, the first thing that Jesus tells Nicodemus is basically this. You must be born again. But wait a second, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was religious. He was high up. Historians say that he was one of the wealthiest people in the the land. Jesus could absolutely care less. And he says, you must be born again again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus goes over in verse 5 and he tells us about the washing and the cleansing of the inner man and the renewing of that person by the Holy Spirit listen to what he says verily, verily I say unto you except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit unless that person is cleansed and made new by the Spirit of God he cannot enter into the kingdom of God herein lies a problem you see and that problem is this is that man cannot do that well you say well preacher (laughs) I don't understand I don't understand the issue What, what are you telling me You're telling me that I need salvation, but I can't do it. That's exactly what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is you need a miracle. And that's where Jesus comes in. That's where the Holy Spirit and that beautiful Godhead comes in at. It's been said before that it takes the whole Godhead to save one sinner. And I believe it. Because no man can come into the Father, unless him that sent me draws him. That's coming from the Father. We see the renewal by the Spirit, and we also see the Son going after that lost one. And so this is something, this problem that we have is outside of ourselves, and a lot of times outside of our control. We see that we're lost, or we see that we need salvation. And let me just stop right there and say this. If you see that, that's a good start. If you understand that you are lost, that's, you're in a good place. Because I'm fixing to give you the remedy for what comes next. And I want you to pay careful, careful attention to what's coming. Listen to what it says. Remember, you can't do this. What Jesus is talking about here in this text is, has nothing to do with Nicodemus yet. Doing anything. And this is what I love about this passage of Scripture. is because there's two sides to it. The first 14 verses deal with God to man, and then there's two verses right after that in 15 and 16 that deal with man to God. And I want us to see what the Word of God says about salvation, what it truly says. You can't save yourself. The last time I checked, you can't make a dead man, he himself that is dead, cannot make himself alive. True or false? Only Jesus was able to do that. Brother Boyd cannot do that. He can't. I can preach to the cemetery until I'm blue in the face, and not one of them going to rise because I'm not Jesus. And the spiritual application is the same. You can preach to people until you're blue in the face. They can sit under the gospel. They can hear it their whole life. But until the Lord does a work, I'm sorry. They're going to sit there and look at you like a calf at a new gate. Huh? That's how people can sit there for 40 years. You say, well, I've sat here 40 years. They've sat there 40 years and listened to the preaching. And they've not turned yet. There's a reason for it. Because they can't on their own will. They can't because they are completely inadequate to do so. They need a supernatural work. In the book of Genesis in chapter 1, on the second day, you see where the heavens, where the waters were departed, and then on the third day are parted. On the third day, you see where the ground came up from the water. That took a supernatural work from a supernatural God. And that's what you need. Listen to what the Word of God says. Verse 6 says this very thing. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This is what Jesus says. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Those that are born of the Spirit are born of the Spirit. It had nothing to do with their own flesh because all flesh does is breed more corruption. So something outside of flesh had to come and that is the Holy Spirit. And we see this played out. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then he tells him again, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Jesus is stripping Nicodemus of his ranks he's stripping him of his title of his power and he is taking Nicodemus back to who Nicodemus truly is and that is fallen man and until you can realize that you're a fallen man in need of a savior you have no hope you just don't You have to realize that you're fallen. You have to realize that you're a sinner. You have to realize that you have missed the mark altogether and in need of a Savior. As we shoot this error, pay attention to what it says. Verse 8, we're still talking about the work of the Lord and not of man. The wind blows where it it will, or the wind blows where it listeth, or in other words, the wind goes where it wants, and... Thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell which it comes and whether it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. In other words, you can see the effects of it. And that's what I love about the Spirit of God in a person's life. There's a lot of false professors... But when someone truly is born again, there is a change in their life. You cannot see the Spirit coming, but you can see its effects. You cannot see the wind blow outside, but you know it's blowing. Why? Because you can see the leaves as they rustle. And so the same thing applies with the heart. When the spirit hits home to a person, you can see when it does. Because there is a noticeable change. Verse 9, Nicodemus responds and he says, How can these things be? (laughs) Jesus responded and he is still stripping away at Nicodemus and answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? He says, you know the law, but yet you don't. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Nicodemus was having a conflict of interest here. He was trying to figure out what was going on. Jesus was stripping him. He was abasing him. He was making him low. Showing him that Christ was the only way. Then he gives this. And the reason why he gives this is because he wants Nicodemus to know what he's talking about. And so he goes back to the law. He goes right to a passage that Nicodemus would have known. And he says this, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And then verse 14, this is what he says. He goes to this passage so he would catch what he's laying down. Verse 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus tells Nicodemus, I'm going to be lifted up. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and all who looked to that serpent were, were saved from the poison that was going throughout the camp. All those that looked at that serpent were saved. Jesus says, I will be lifted up, and all who look to me will be saved. Nicodemus knew exactly what he was talking about when he said about the brazen brazen serpent. There was no more confusion. He knew exactly what was going on. And the reason why I know this is because in 15 and 16, then he lays out man's responsibility. And these two marry perfectly. They marry God's, God's work and man's responsibility marry perfectly. But we have to be very careful... In that. Listen to what it says here in verse fifteen. After giving the example of Moses in the wilderness and the serpent being lifted up and salvation being brought to the Israelites in the camp, and the the, the the poison being stayed and kept off of them, listen to what it says right here. Verse fifteen. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Here in verse 15, we see that he's not just talking about, and I can imagine how hard this would have been to hear for Nicodemus, the social elitist, the religious, the powerful, because he says, whosoever, and this was a no-no to say whosoever. Because he's not just talking about the Jew here, but he's talking about the Gentile as well. Jesus comes to Nicodemus, the religious, and he says, whosoever believes in me shall be saved. Plain and simple. Just as George said it earlier. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then Jesus, just to reiterate this, he says it again. But listen to how he says it. I want us to see what he is telling Nicodemus. I'm shooting this arrow, guys. I'm shooting it. And if it is hitting your heart, what comes next is for you. Up until this point, it's, it's been all about God and His work. But what comes next is for you. If that arrow has hit that soft spot, and you know that for sure, listen to what Jesus says in verse 16, and we all know John 3:16, "Even those people that don't love the Lord can probably quote to you, John 3:16, but listen to what it says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, Jew and Gentile, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting." Life. Eternal life. God shows us that we're not able. But then He shows us that by His grace, we can receive Him by faith. And have eternal life. And so we see where God's work and us putting trust in the Savior, they marry and they come together. It's a beautiful picture of grace. Grace. It's a beautiful picture of what the Lord is showing Nicodemus. And what I'm showing you today is that Nicodemus was fallen. He was religious. He was the social elitist and he had power. And that, was, that, that meant nothing to Jesus Christ. He told him, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. To be born again comes only through the Spirit of God and us turning from our sins, repenting, and by faith believing in the only begotten Son full of grace and truth, Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and that arrow has hit your heart and that net has found its clutches around your heart or that seed you have felt drop in, Jesus command you repent and believe the gospel and thou shalt be saved. And I would ask of you this morning that if the Lord has done that work, He showed you that you're a sinner, He's broken that stony heart up. You see the truth for the first time that you're carrying a load that you're never meant to carry. There's one that can help you with that. But just as the Israelites looked up to the serpent in the wilderness, as Moses lifted it up, we must look off to the one from where our help comes. And His name, according to Psalm 21, His name is Jesus Christ. That's where to look to. And the Scripture teaches us if we do that by faith, we repent and turn from our sins and confess Him as Lord and Master. Believe in Him by faith. The Scripture teaches us that we shall be saved. I love the story of the Philippian jailer. Scared to death. His heart had been broken. The arrow had hit. And he was trembling. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what did he say, Perry? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning, for the Lord Jesus, for Brother Boyd, I've shot an arrow. And I pray that it would land by the grace of God in someone's heart. Let's pray.